Sal Berry. There are more hairs on my head than cups that the Maple Leafs have won. And Tim Parrish. Just because you deliver the drugs to people, you don't force them to take them. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to finally talk about the Patrick Kane trade to the New York Rangers. Of course, after we had finished recording our previous show, Kane gets traded. You know, we're a weekly show. You don't listen to us for timely, late-breaking news. In fact, you shouldn't be listening to podcasts for late-breaking news because they're pre-recorded and not live. But you're hopefully listening to this for fun and engaging and interesting commentary. And we plan to offer that about the Patrick Kane trade, as well as the bevy of other trades that happened during uh, the last couple days of the NHL trade deadline period. Tim. What's going on? What are your thoughts on all of this craziness that ensued? I mean, it's it's the typical cycle that we encounter every year. It's just this year, for some reason, teams went buck nutty with, with trades. A lot of blockbusters. Were, yeah, there were some bigger ones, but I think this there were more trades this year than I'd seen in a while. I mean, there were 41 trades before deadline day. So, I mean, it was a ton. Is it just me or did it seem like the NHL GMs were giving out first round picks like candy? Like you get a first rounder and you get a first rounder and you get a first rounder. Well, I think that plays into what we've already known is that, you know, this draft class, the top 10 in this draft class are pretty tight. The draft class next year, the top 10 are probably going to be pretty, you know, pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything beyond, you know, the 10th pick in the draft, I think, their GMs are just looking at them as disposable. Right. Because th- these are guys that may or may not be NHL ready. They may take some time to marinate in the lower mm-hmm. leagues. Once you get into those later first round picks, I mean, do they ever pan out? Of course they do. Right. But sometimes it's a long play. And as we all know, NHL is win now, mm-hmm. it's not win later. So. Nobody likes the word rebuild. Nobody likes the word, you know, plan for the future. Nobody likes to hear that. They want to hear win now. Here's one trade I'm going to just throw out there that I want to talk about because this one caught my eye, made me raise an eyebrow. So the Boston Bruins acquire for Tyler Bertuzzi from the Red Wings in exchange for a conditional first round pick in the 2024 NHL draft and a fourth round pick in the 2025 NHL draft. Now, obviously, The Bruins are doing great. I mean, as of this recording, they only have eight losses in regulation. They do have some overtime losses, but they have only eight regulation losses. I think only two losses at home. They're just awesome. I mean, insanely good this year. So we kind of both said that they really don't need to do much. But looking at this, it's like, is Tyler Bertuzzi worth a first and a fourth? I don't think he is, but the Bruins do. And, you know, they don't want to give up anything. And I guess that's the thing. If you want a player and you don't want to give up a player, well, then you got to give up a pick. So I think Detroit did pretty well getting a first and a fourth for Bertuzzi. Yeah. And again, the first round pick is in the 2024 draft. So it's not coming up this year. And, you know, the fact that the Bruins are one of the best teams in the league and will probably win the president's trophy 
what's that first round pick going to be? Number 30, number 28, 30, number 32 when they right, hoist yeah. the cup. And if you look at what they did, that's not really their big, you know, their big move. Their big move was that picking up Dmitry Orloff and Garnet mm-hmm. Hathaway from the Capitals. You know, they had to have the Wild float the money and be the bank in that deal. But still, the fact that they were able to pick both of those guys up and, I mean, Orloff on defense, that's that's a great pickup for Boston. The rich keep getting richer. I don't know how anybody else let that happen, but you know, more power to them, I guess. Best team in the league gets a little bit better, so... Yeah, well, I mean, the Bruins gave away their first round pick in the 2023 draft there. So, I mean, as well as other picks. So considering what they got in that, I would say that was probably that was probably fair. Well, yeah, I mean, and they're doing win now, obviously. They're 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 well, you got to when your when your core is, you know, the older guys like, you know, Marchand and and Bergeron, they're not getting any younger. Right. They've been in the league for quite a while, so... Krejci, you know, Pasternak. Yeah, and, you know, Krejci came back to play. Pasternak's still got some time on him, but... Oh, you know, yeah. He's just signed that new that new deal, so... Mm-hmm. It's one of those things. You you get a team that starts to age out, and you, you think your window is closing, so you got to do what you got to do to boost them up there and give them an opportunity to, to get some hardware, unlike certain people in charge of a certain team in a certain city that confluences at three rivers that all mm. shall remain nameless then i'll bring them up because i was going to ask you what you thought about the penguins reacquiring nick bonino from the san jose sharks in a three team trade that also included montreal so a bunch of names here i don't recognize more draft picks changing hands but Look, I mean, i'm f- i'm fine with that i'm fine with that because essentially what that boils down to is they got nick bonino for free because basically his salary is being kept by the Ducks. So, or by the Sharks, I mean. I knew it was some crappy California team. I Aquatic just, California I, team, I, yeah. I forgot which one it was. Essentially, they got him back for free. Okay, now he's not the 2017 Nick Benino that helped them win the Cup. He's definitely nowhere near that. But if he can go out there and be that kind of spark plug kind of player that he's known to be, I think that'll work well for them. But if you look at everything else that the Penguins did, I mean, Mikhail Gramlin, come on. That was, to me, a silly, silly, silly pick. Why get Gramlin? He's, I mean, he's... Why? Because they wanted another forward, and that's not the forward that they wanted to go after. And I think they looked at that based off of his performance last year mm-hmm. and not what he's done this year, thinking he could recoup you know, some of that you know, Gloria playing, but that was one year. That was like an anomaly. He hasn't been that consistent of a player since he played for the wild. That was a silly trade, but you know, all the chance of fire Hextall, they've been going for weeks now and I don't disagree with them. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you. I mean, you have three of the most talented players in all of the NHL on your roster and you agreed to pay them additional money and keep them around. So that essentially all three of them could more or less retire as Penguins. And you look at what the Bruins do. They surround their team with talent. Now, I'm not going to compare the two because the Bruins are a way better team, fundamentally and structurally. But the concept is the same. 
You surround your star players with the talent that they can be stars. And the Penguins didn't do that. Now, one trade that really surprised me besides Patrick Kane, although I wasn't surprised, I was shocked, but not surprised. But one trade that really made me raise not one eyebrow, but both eyebrows like, huh, was the Tampa Bay Lightning acquiring Tanner Janot from the Nashville Predators. They gave up a bunch of stuff. Nashville got a bunch of stuff for Janot. They got defenseman Cal Foote. Conditional first round pick in the 2025 NHL draft, a second round pick in the 24 draft, and then third, fourth, and fifth round picks in the 2023 draft. So they got a first round pick in two years, a second round pick in one year, and third, fourth, and fifth round picks later this year, and a defenseman for a tough forward but not a top six player i mean you heard what tampa's gm said he basically said i don't care about these draft picks half these guys are never going to make it to the nhl so what do i care i'm trying to build a team that wins a cup that's what it boils down to i mean they understand they know how the game works you're going to hit the diamond in the rough once in a while but the chance of you doing it on every pick that you have are definitely not not likely let's put it that way so unless you, you have one of the very, very, like I said, top 10, maybe top 15, if you're picking in the bottom 15, good luck. I mean, if you're Tampa Bay and you look at how they did last year, I mean, they made it to the cup finals. They lost to the Avalanche, but it was a back and forth series. It wasn't like they got swept. I'm not going to say it could have been either team series, but this wasn't like they were out in four. So does a player like Janot, does that toughness that he brings to the team, do you think that that helps them against a team like the Avalanche or maybe more so just getting through a team like Boston or probably both? I mean, having that guy that's going to go out there and mix it up and not afraid to mix it up, you know, that big body that goes and puts punishment on the other player. I mean, obviously it gets the other team to pay attention and takes them away from their game a little bit. So I think having that and plus he could score, too. Nobody's worried about the Lightning, even though they've been not playing that great as right. of late. But nobody's really worried about them not making the playoffs. He's a depth addition that will help them in playoff time because we see how everything's evolved, right? Yes. Everything evolves. It goes from massive skill to really good defense to super fast to very physical. And that's kind of the period that we're in right now. Because mm -hmm. you got all these teams that are flashy and everything else and guys that can go out and score crazy goals and all that kind of stuff and put up points. But who are the teams that make it into the end? They're the teams that go out there and beat people up and play physical and can score. So they have that balance of the physicality and the offensive prowess. And, and it'll change later on. I mean, when the Penguins won those cups, it was all about speed. You know, get faster, 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 and speed will win. Now we're into the physical nature of it. And the teams that don't have those physical bodies, if they're going to compete, they got to do it somehow. Because come playoff time, they're going to need that. This is a great pick for Tampa. You know, speaking of agitators, uh, Brendan Lemieux was traded. Brendan Lemieux was traded. So he was traded from the Kings to the Flyers in exchange for forward Zach McEwen. The Flyers also got a fifth-round pick in 2024. 
you know, Brennan Lemieux fits in on the Flyers, don't you think? Kind of a surly player, kind of a a, a rabble rouser, and seems like he'd fit in and in, in Philly. Definitely a John Tortorella player. Why is that? Because he likes guys that are, that go out there and are gritty and block shots and become agitators. Those mm-hmm. are the guys he likes. I think he relishes in those old school type players. He's changed a little bit. We've seen him evolve a little bit since taking back over as bench boss over there, but he still has his tendencies of that old school style. Didn't seem too upset with Tony D'Angelo's latest <laughs> garbage that he pulled. The other yeah. So, Spearing Corey Perry in, in the groin. Yeah. Now, now let me preface this by saying I probably would have been more mad about it if it wouldn't have been Corey Perry. But because it was Corey Perry, I'm like, ah, it's one goon smashing another goon. But still, you can't be doing that kind of Punch stuff. him in the face, man. You know? All this kind of stuff. Like, the slew footing crap that goes on, I can't stand. All the instances that we've had over the last few years of people spitting on each other, I can't stand. Spearing somebody in the nuts, that's stupid. Those things, those things are dumb. They're just dumb. Anyway, I digress. That had nothing to do with trades. It just popped in my head. But that's a Tortorella-type player. So that's why not a big shock there. Another one I want to throw out there is the Max Domi trade. When I saw that, I was just like, wow. It's funny because that morning on social media, the Blackhawks PR department was like, Happy birthday, Max Domi. Hope you have a great birthday. And then later that day, it's like, the Blackhawks have traded Max Domi and goalie Dylan Wells to the uh, Dallas Stars for Anton Kudobin and a second round pick in the 2025 NHL draft. And I'm like, wow, it's like, happy birthday, dot, dot, dot. And you're traded to Dallas, which I don't know if that was his birthday wish. He was definitely fitting into Patrick Kane. But I guess, you know, once you trade Patrick Kane or decide that you're going to trade Patrick Kane, what's the point of keeping his line mate? You know, there's no point. So I think that's a little too bad because I I could have seen Domi as being one of the, like, leaders on the Blackhawks moving forward. But nope, not going to happen. Well, and if if you look at what they got in return, (laughs) I mean, come on. I mean, Anton Kadobin hasn't played a single game because he's got that hip injury that he's... I mean, let's face it. When you're 39 years old, are you going to recover from a hip injury? I don't know. I don't bank on it. Maybe he's not 30. Maybe he's 38. I think he was a uh, 86 birthday. So what would that make him? Uh, it's about 38, right? Something. Yeah. I mean, you know. He's old. Let's put it this way. He's old. He 37, hasn't played all, I think. He hasn't played all season. An injured goaltender that's super old and a second round pick to draft years from now. Well, listen, the Blackhawks are collecting goalies that could be good backup goalies on any team, but none of them are really starters, obviously. So, I mean, Anton Kudobin, I mean, really, they just wanted to get rid of Max Domi and they got a second round pick, which is pretty good. I mean, again, half those guys or most of those guys don't play whatever, but they obviously were just like, okay, well, Max Domi's scoring too many goals for us, so we need to get rid of him because we got to make sure that we get that first overall pick. So we got to tank harder. I mean, the Connor Bedard sweepstake is, is no joke. Everybody uh, wants that. Blackhawks also traded Dylan Sakura, again, just in burning it all down to the ground. They're good players they're trading. They're 
okay players they're trading. But uh, you want to talk about Jordan Greenway. Yeah. So some of you might know. I know you know that I have a double secret probation PC of Jordan Greenway. And I've been collecting him since he was drafted. I have some kind of weird affinity for guys that played for Shattuck that came out of that Shattuck program, St. Mary's. But I don't know why, but I just do. So Greenway has not been living up to expectations, especially this season. Um, He's been very underwhelming, and he's getting a new shot with the Sabres. Um, I think the Sabres gave up a second round and a fifth round Yep. to get Jordan Greenway. I like that. I think having a new environment that he can go into and get kind of like a fresh start, so to speak, especially on a, on a young team, a young up-and-coming team that's mm-hmm. still – pretty solid and people are still thinking may have a possibility of making the playoffs. I think that gives him an opportunity. Not only that, I mean, if you go back to when he was in the national development program, who was his coach? Don Granado. Granado knows what kind of player he is. He knows how to get him to work. And plus now he's going to be playing with Alex Tuck Alex and Tyson Jost who were both on the same team and when they were with the Wild. So he got to play with them before. And Tage Thompson came out of that, you know, development program and everything. So I think this will be a good start for him. At least I hope it will be. But not a super exciting trade by any means. But it impacted me a little bit because now I have to actively actually collect Buffalo Sabres cards. Hmm. I thought I would have to say that. Yeah, I know. How about that, though? Like, When a player you like goes to a team that you're not necessarily excited about collecting. I mean, I kind of hit that when um, Jeff Skinner went from the Carolina Hurricanes to the Buffalo Sabres. That's when I stopped collecting his cards. Same same, same thing. Nobody wants Buffalo Sabres cards. You know, we grew up in an era where players didn't change teams a lot. And that was bad for the players because, you know, they, they had very bad collective bargaining and the league had very oppressive rules about free agency and and stuff like that. You look at a guy like Steve Eiserman and you go, well, he's, he's a Red Wing. He's always been a Red Wing or Mario Lemieux, always a Penguin. Maybe those guys are, all right, those guys are maybe untouchable anyways, but you look at guys where they played with one team for most or all of their career, and you just think of them as that team. And now we don't get yeah, that there's anymore. There's plenty of examples of that. I mean, even guys that change teams maybe once or twice, you still iconically think of them as certain things, like, you know, Patrick Waugh. You either think of him as a Canadian or an Av. Because yeah, he had we, like two parts of his career. We talked about that though when we talked about does uh, a player changing teams uh, affect collectability, and I think we agreed that Patrick Waugh was kind of an exception to that rule. Like Gretzky and Waugh were like the big exceptions to that rule, and and maybe Gordy Howe. I have to re-listen to that episode. I'll be sure to link to it in the notes. Yeah. You can make that case. And again, I think we pointed out the fact that when guys go to markets that have a lot more exposure too, 
that opens them up to a whole new audience that maybe they wouldn't be as prone to be exposed to. Obviously, the Rangers getting Patrick Kane. Was Patrick Kane a superstar prior to that? Yes. Arguably one of the best U.S.-born players ever. Do people know Patrick Kane? Yes. Is there more vim and vigor for the Rangers in New York versus the Blackhawks in Chicago? Absolutely yes. I mean, that's a resounding yes. I think the Chicago Fire have a bigger following than the Blackhawks do in Chicago. Bandwagoners jumped off. Bandwagoners jumped off years ago. The first year they don't win the cup, they're like, hockey, what's that? So you got the New York area. And you got a lot more publicity, I guess. Is I don't know if that's a good word or not. I mean, same thing with the Devils picking up Timo Meyer. I mean, Timo Meyer, great player, highly underrated forward, but he was buried on the Sharks. And as much as you know, you get hockey people talking about Timo Meyer and how good Timo Meyer was and everything he can contribute offensively and everything else as part of his game. Nobody in the rest of the country outside of the San Jose market or people that always listen to hockey news probably would have Timo Meyer on the top of their list. But now that he's in New Jersey, again, part of the New York metropolitan area, I think you're going to see that slowly change. Same thing with Bo Horvat going to the, uh, the Islanders. The Islanders, but the you Islanders know, that was, are... That was the first trade to kick off all of this kind of stuff. As far as trade deadlines go, you know, he was in Vancouver, great player, you know, kind of fell off a little bit here. You know, here's a great player going to a historic team in the New York area that's got a lot of got a lot of drive behind him as far as popularity and everything else. So obviously not as popular as the Rangers, but right. There's three big deals there. And that doesn't even touch on the fact that the Rangers also got Tarasenko, which we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. So you know, you got these high profile players now moving into a market where all eyes are on them versus something like the franchise goaltender for the Kings finally ending up after all said and done in Vegas, where Vegas has a extremely crazy fan base, but it's made up of people from all over the country because there's not a lot of native people in Vegas. It's a lot of people that moved there from all over. Yes, and the other thing I want to point out about Vegas, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, and this also applies to Seattle. These two teams came about in the social media era. Now, I know the Winnipeg Jets, when the Atlanta Thrashers moved to Winnipeg and became the Jets, there was social media then. But what I'm saying is these are two brand new teams that were born during the social media era And the way the teams have been marketed is, hey, we don't care where you're from. We want you to be our fan. So, like, Vegas engages with fans from all over. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're not, like, I mean, we think think back 80 years ago, right? The, The team from my town is better than the team from your town. Because... That was it. You know, you'd watch your team all the time because you couldn't watch other teams, really, because really there weren't national broadcasts. I mean, if there was even stuff on TV, you'd maybe go to a game, listen to it on the radio. So it had this very kind of regionalism. And that's kind of being eroded now, because honestly, I probably watched more Sharks games this year or more Panthers games this year 
or more Avalanche games this year than I have Blackhawk games, even though the Blackhawks are in Chicago and I'm in Chicago. But the thing is, is you can watch teams anywhere. So these two teams have really embraced that idea of like our fans are are from all over and they can be from all over. So Jonathan Quick going to a very passionate market. Well, going from one passionate market to Columbus and then back to. That's why I said when all was said and done and the dust cleared, because this was a multi-layered thing. Okay, now, honest question, because I don't know this. Was this a three-way trade that just took two days to complete? Or was it just that there was no way the Kings were going to send Quick to a division rival? I think it was a master plan all along, but I don't know for sure. I just know that when I heard Quick was going to the Blue Jackets, I just thought, well, they're one of the absolute worst teams in hockey. Now they're getting a legendary goaltender that's in the arguably waning years of his career. Yes. That can't be good for anybody involved. And that's all I kept thinking. But then later on, the next day, when you hear, oh, well, now they flipped quick to the Knights for Michael Hutchinson and like a last pick pick at the end of the draft. Yeah. I was like, now that makes more sense to bring in another high profile. Because, look, the original goaltender for the Golden Knights, Marc-Andre Fleury, mm-hmm. larger-than-life character, larger-than-life personality, great goaltender. Yeah, he's getting up there. Still shows flashes of greatness, but he's definitely not what he was at one point by any means. But after he left, they didn't really have anybody that was like a huge name. I mean, they had Robin no. Lehner, but we all know the issues that Robin Lehner's had, you know, with it's his health, mental health issues, and all of that kind of stuff, and, and physical health, and too. physical health issues, and and all those types of things. But how many years has Vegas had a revolving door of goaltenders? Just who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Including tons of AHL guys and prospect players that they've had to call up for various games. I mean, it's happened numerous times. So the fact that they can get a goaltender that can still play consistently like Jonathan Quick is, I think is good. And the other thing that's cool about that is you have this entire fan base that's four-hour drive from there that's been well-established as being Jonathan Quick fans. So it's not like he went that far away when all said and done here because he's only four hours down the road. Just real quick, let me just recap what happened in these two trades just for our listeners who probably know anyway, but just to to throw it out there. So the Columbus Blue Jackets got Jonathan Quick, a conditional first-round pick in this year's draft, and a third-round pick in next year's draft from the Kings. And what did they give up? They gave up defenseman Vladislav Gavrikov and Jonas Corposalo. All right, so I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at going, okay, so Jonathan Quick is going to not a great team. I'm not saying that their fans are not passionate. I'm just saying that they're not. No, I wasn't knocking their fans. The team just stinks. Yeah, the team stinks. And then I don't know how many Jonathan Quick collectors there are, are out there. I imagine there's got to be quite a few because he's on, he's on the Kings, you know, big market yeah. team, popular team. They yeah, won, two cu- he won two Stanley Cups. I mean— right. I've encountered quite a few over the years. He's Jonathan Quick. He's a perennial, was a perennial all-star for a while. He's got cups. 
He's also a goaltender. There's a lot of goaltender collectors out there. He was on a big market team. So he had all those going for him as from collectability standpoint. So quick and the first round pick, basically the centerpieces of this trade are quick in the first round going to Columbus for Jonas Corposalo, right? Well, then the next day, the Blue Jackets trade quick for Michael Hutchinson and a seventh round pick in the 2025 draft. And I know the seventh round pick, okay, why bother, right? So basically, they acquired quick, held on to him for a day, traded him for another goalie, and still get to keep the first round pick. I mean, now, granted, they gave up Jonas Corposalo, but did they really need him? They got Elvis Merzlikens. I mean, unless they actually wanted Michael Hutchinson. No, they needed a backup. And this was the only way they could get him, Mm -hmm. by using Quick as a pawn? I don't know. Because I can't imagine they'd want to take him on and then try to re-sign him. No, Especially in this current state of their team. So mm -hmm. they had to be using him as a pawn in a deal. I don't know. I don't know. I think it was a brilliant move. Behind the scenes. Brilliant move, don't you think? Because they got a first rounder out of the deal. Yeah. And for a team that's in the position that they're in, that's I think that's important because they're a team that's going to have to I don't want to say rebuild, but they definitely have to stock the cabinet. Well, I'm excited that Quick is going back to a, a larger market and definitely a, a more high profile team. The Knights seem to be doing pretty well with uh, Logan Thompson as their starter. I mean, he played in the All-Star game earlier this year. He's exceeded expectations, which is funny because when Robin Leonard was going to get that surgery and he was going to be out for the season, it's like, okay, well, they're kind of screwed. And then Logan Thompson just kind of stepped in, took over, and has played admirably for them. And having a guy that's a proven winner, you know, even if you're only going to use him as a, a backup at one point or another, because, you know, Thompson's been hurt. Being able to have a, a solid netminder that can mm-hmm. fill in is good because I think Thompson's backup was uh, Laurent Brossois, and he got yeah. hurt. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Vegas just doesn't seem to have luck with goaltenders. Right now, Vegas is on the top of the West. As we're recording this, I'm looking, you know, they and the Kings are tied in points. Dallas is nipping at their heels. This is in the West, and and Seattle's in the mix there, too. I know the Eastern Conference is a little bit stronger of a conference. Right now, you got the Bruins with 103 points, which is just ridiculous. You got Hurricanes with 92 points, the Devils with 88 points, Toronto with 86 points. Tampa Bay with 81 points. Then you go to the West and it's like Vegas has 82 points, right? Like their first place team has less points than the fourth place team in the East. But still, Vegas is up there and this just really gives them like two really solid goaltending options. I mean, I think Jonathan Quick might play less in Vegas, but can be a bigger help to them than whatever he would do in Columbus, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. I, mean, I like it you, when I make sense. Did you see his debut the other night? I did not. I watched the beginning. I didn't watch the whole game, but I watched the beginning when they came out for warm-ups and he led the team out onto the ice. Mm-hmm. And just seeing him in those gold metallic sweater and uh, his weird King's pads. 
He was, was still, still wearing there. the king's pants. What about the helmet? Did he do a white helmet or did he do uh did they give him a gold helmet? No, he had a he had a Vegas helmet that was that was made up. It was just weird though. It was just a weird thing to see. But he still had the silver pads? Um yeah, they were his king's pads. They had like gold sprinkled on them, I think. Like glitter glue, maybe, I'm maybe sure. They, yeah, like like glitter spray paint or something on them, but there is King's pads, but it was just totally weird to see it. And when they, I had the actual in broadcast game on, and when they were announcing the players, the PA announcer announced them, and just the crowd went crazy, and they were all screaming. I'm like, this is odd. Anytime a player that's that's synonymous with a team gets traded, seeing them in their new uniforms, it's just weird. It is weird, and then what's kind of sad is that we won't get these hockey cards of them in their new uniform until like three years from now when they've already changed teams again. <laughs> you know, I'm still pulling cards of Marc-Andre Fleury as a Blackhawk, and I'm like, aw, <laughs> he hasn't been a Blackhawk in a year now, you know, or almost a year, so we'll get those yeah, Jonathan I, Quick cards in 2025. It's funny you said that because I was looking through my Fleury cards the other day, and I'm like... I don't have any cards of him as a Blackhawk, I don't think. And I was just flipping through trying to find it. And the only card I could actually track down that I own of him as a Blackhawk was his Parkhurst Ice in Their Veins card, Mm -hmm. which I don't physically have. It's in my EPAC account. So that was it. Like I was like, wow, I know he has some, even though he was only on the team for a couple seconds. It's always fun, though, when you find those hockey cards. You see these more in the 90s, sometimes the 80s. But when you see hockey cards of a goalie where he's changed teams and they use a photo of him where he's kind of got like the mismatch. And I'll give you an example. I know the back of Jimmy Waits' 93-94 upper deck card has a photo of him and he's in a Sharks jersey but he's got the Blackhawks helmet and the Blackhawks pads. And then a couple of years later, when Ed Belfour went to the Sharks, there was a card, I don't remember which one, but there was at least one card of him where he's got the red pads, but he's wearing the San Jose Sharks jersey. So it's just ridiculous. And another one I'll throw out there, because this one actually surprised me, was Kelly Rudy's 89-90 Tops and OPG card. He's got a white helmet, which is universal for goalie for, hi, I've just joined the team because I'm in a white helmet with no colors on it, right? But he's got his Islanders pads, but he's in a black Kings jersey. And what's odd about that is that he was on the Kings roster for enough games that Tops could have used a photo of him in like the right pads and the right equipment. But it's just funny that in 89-90, he's like, huh, still in his Islanders gear but in a king sweater i think of the 2000 2001 almost every card of mike vernon when he was on florida Mm -hmm. you have him in a florida jersey with with his sharks pads oh yeah so he had the blue the blue pads with the red jersey that totally didn't match that's always fun hey you know i just want to mention another one player going to two different teams within a couple days of each other so on March 1st, the San Jose Sharks acquired Vladislav Nemistikov. I can't say his name. Nemestikov. Namey Stinknoff. Stinkoff. Stink bomb, whatever. He was that he was 
All right, hold on a second. Okay, first of all, uh, he needs a few more vowels in that name. Sorry, not sorry. He's got four. Well, yeah, but he's got too many consonants together. You're like, who puts a T next to an N? Namest Nikov. Namaste. Think okay. of his two words. Namest, Namaste. Nikov. Right. Okay. See, learning is fun. So yes. anyways, the reason why I bring him up, because he was a first round pick way back in the 2011 draft. But what was funny about him was that he was actually ranked pretty high. And then he dropped and he continued to drop. And then he went all the way to 27th and he was picked up by the lightning um, in 2011. He was picked up uh, 27th overall. But he's changed teams a lot. So, I mean, you know, maybe he shouldn't have been a first-round pick, but whatever. I mean, he was highly touted at the time. So he was on the Tampa Bay Lightning, the New York Rangers, the Ottawa Senators, the Colorado Avalanche, the Detroit Red Wings, the Dallas Stars. Then he was back on the Tampa Bay Lightning this year. But then he was traded to the Sharks. But then two days later, he was traded to the Jets. So... I just thought it was funny that we had another player who changed teams twice during the days leading up to the deadline. I remember when I opened 2014 trilogy and I pulled the Vlad Nemestikov crystal rookies, but I pulled the tier three one, which was like the fully zoomed in one on his head. Mm-hmm. They, I think they were numbered out of like a hundred or 125 or something like that. And I remember thinking, this is an awesome card. This is going to be worth lots of money. Yeah, that never happened. But, you know, I mean, recently I opened some boxes of Skybox Metal Universe 2122 blaster boxes. He has that alternate jersey short printed card. And he's a Red Wing and he's wearing like a an alternate Red Wings jersey. And I'm like... Why the heck would they put him in that subset? Like, he can understand putting Crosby or Ovechkin or Kane or Tarasenko or McDavid. Give some variety to all the Namastikov collectors. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, anyways, so um, just thought that was funny that he switched teams a few times. If we want to talk about a funny trade, we definitely have to talk about the Flames picking up Troy Stetcher and Nick Ritchie in exchange for... Connor Mackey and Brett Ritchie. Oh, and yeah. No, I didn't stutter. I said Ritchie twice because for the first time ever, ever in the history of ever, brothers were traded for each other. Now, that may not seem like something significant, but when you take into consideration that since 1917, there have been 321 sets of siblings play in the NHL. 321. I mean, heck, there have been 47 pairs of brothers to play on the same team one time or another. I mean, if we're going that route, there were six Sutters, for God's sake. So I think in 2022, I saw that there were 32 sets of siblings in the NHL currently. So in all those years, going back to 1917, with 321 sets of siblings, no brothers have ever been traded for each other until right now with the Ritchie brothers. I find that fascinating. It's funny and also maybe a little sad that they don't get to play together. It's like, hey, you got traded to your brother's team. Cool. But but, but he's he getting traded, traded to your team or we yeah. traded you for him. What? Yeah. But it's just a, it's an interesting thing to know that 
in the history of the NHL and there have been that many instances of siblings playing together or playing in the NHL at the same time that something like this hasn't even happened by accident. And now it finally does. I found that to be fascinating. I wonder if they just give them each other's jerseys. They're like, well, your brother wore this number here, so you're going to just be this number so we don't have to, like, do up a whole new jersey for you. You know, it already says Richie on the back. Maybe. <laughs> they, they could They could probably pull that off as long as they agree to it. Yeah, yeah or I guess it just depends where your status is on the team. You know, obviously if you're you know, a Patrick Kane type player, then they'll let you pick your number. And if you're not, then it's just like, well, good news. You're going to be number 74. Yeah, that's a good number or whatever. I think one of the other, you know, other than Patrick Kane, I think one of the other big ones that we haven't really mentioned is the Jacob Chikrin trade. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. All people talked about going into it is Jacob Chikrin, Jacob Chikrin. And the biggest thing was the fact that the Coyotes had, held him out of games mm-hmm. for like a week and a half at that point. He hadn't played for administrative reasons, meaning that he was on the trading block and it's just no one, no one came knocking until finally the senators picked him up and ended up exchanging their first rounder this year, second rounder next year, and second rounder in 2026. So a lot of 2025s went, but this was a 2026. So, I mean, essentially a first and two seconds for Jacob Chikrin. That seems about right. Chikrin I mean, could be worth it. He could be worth it. I agree. I definitely see giving up a first for a player like him. I um, actually wanted the Penguins to do something to get Chikrin. I really did. And, of course, you know, good old Ronnie sitting up in his office with crickets. Nothing happened on that front. But we waited this whole time. It was like, Chickering, Chickering. When's he Chickering getting traded? When's Chickering getting traded? He hasn't played in, like, four games. He hasn't played in a week and a half. And then it, it took a while. I mean, with trades going pretty regularly from, you know, other than the beginning trade with the Horvat. And like the Kraken did a couple things, and then when the when the Tarasenko trade went down, from that point forward, you know, I think a week later we had the Ryan O'Reilly trade, and then every couple of days it was something. You know, you hear, oh, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. So, you know, that's when he was pulled out of the lineup. Was right about mm-hmm. that time, and nothing until March first, which I thought was interesting. Who wants a guy that's just been sitting around for weeks? Well, if he played good up to that point, then you're trading. For him, for his potential. It's not going to matter if he plays four more games and get, adds another four points to his stat line. If well, Of course he, it's for potential, but no player is going to sit there and tell you that, yeah, I understand I'm being held out so I don't get injured and it loses my trade stock. Yep. But at the same time, sitting out for two weeks, that doesn't do anybody any good. No, Players want to skate. They want to practice. They yes. want to be out there. They want to do all that. Yeah, but this is where the agent steps in and says, no, you need to do this. This is where you need that agent to give you good advice and say, you know, if you want to be traded, we got something in the works. You got to sit out. You know what I mean? It's an unfortunate part of the game, but that's that's what happens sometimes. We had another, uh, well, had a lot of trades on March 1st, but another one that stood out to me was that the Canucks acquired defenseman Philip Hironik and a fourth round pick in exchange for a first round 
and a second round pick. And I'm thinking, you know, how I said earlier, how GMs are throwing around the first round picks. And I'm thinking, now, I get Jacob Chikrin going for a first round draft pick. But Philip Heronik, I didn't think he was first round pick worthy. And if I was a Canucks fan, it's like, hey, we gave up our first rounder for Philip Heronik, whereas the Ottawa Senators gave up their first rounder and they got Jacob Chikrin. <laughs> I'd probably scratch my head a little on that. Let's be honest, though. Canucks this year, I don't want to use the word dumpster fire, but Canucks have been in bad shape. Oh, wait. Yeah, this was the, the team that fired Bruce Boudreaux midseason and, and didn't let him know about it for three days, even though everybody else did, and then brought in Rick Tockett. I mean, look, I can't slam Jim Rutherford because, I mean, he was a Penguins GM. He did a lot of good things there. He did some questionable things, but he did a lot of good to build with at that team. And he was always that guy that would just, he was just chomping at the bit trying to do a trade when it came down to the trade deadline. So you always were wondering, what's Rutherford going to do? What's Rutherford going to do? And up to that point, I mean, the Canucks really didn't, do anything so i was like well what's he waiting for is he looking for a certain player i mean other than getting vitaly crafts off some from the rangers i think that's really all they had done up to that point and let's be honest Vitaly crafts off i mean come on he doesn't even have a real rookie card they're all stuck in the panini fresh off the line products um now kratzoff has some upper he has a young gun yeah after the fact yeah, okay, well, I'm just saying. He was one of the casualties of that whole thing that signed the exclusive with a company that didn't even have a license. <laughs> so he has lots of score and select and those types of cards. But anyway, yeah, so other than that, they hadn't done anything, and that's not typical of Rutherford. But, yeah, the way they handled Bruce, I don't, I don't like it. Bruce, there it is, is a good guy. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Nobody deserves to be treated like that. But as they say, coaches are hired to be fired, and it happens all the time. But yeah, that was a weird pick. Is Ronick worth a first rounder? I don't. I don't know. I don't know really what the Canucks are doing at this point. They seem to be like a listless ship without an oar, just floating around out there. Rick Tockett will probably get them back on track and help them play a better style of game, but. I think his style of coaching requires a completely different mindset for the team, and I don't know if they're necessarily built for that right now, but we'll see. Okay, we got to talk about the big one now, the Patrick Kane trade. So obviously, I have a lot of thoughts about this, having watched Patrick Kane for the past 16-odd years. So the Rangers acquired Patrick Kane and defenseman Cooper Zetsch, from the Blackhawks, the Blackhawks get Andy Walensky, a conditional second-round pick in the 2023 draft, which could become a first-rounder, more on that in a minute, and a fourth-round pick in the 2025 draft from the Rangers, and uh, a defenseman that I never heard of from the Coyotes. The Coyotes get a third-round pick in the draft because they also pick up a portion of Kane's salary. So that second-round pick, from the Rangers 
can become a first round pick if they make it past the second round of the playoffs. They got to make it to the conference finals. They make it to the conference finals, then the Blackhawks get a first round pick. Otherwise, they get a second round pick. So they've been talking about this sort of thing for a long time. In fact, a lot of the fans were rumbling about this for years, saying things like, oh, well, Kane and Taves should waive their no trade clause so that the Blackhawks could pick up picks and prospects for them. And I'm thinking, if you have a no trade clause in your contract, that means that you don't want to leave the team. And for the longest time, neither of them did. And now when you see what the Blackhawks general manager Kyle Davidson has done, he's basically burning everything to the ground. It is apparent that the team didn't want to re-sign him. Now, there's, of course, a rumor that, oh, well, Patrick Kane, maybe he'll come back in the summer and he'll sign as a free agent, right? Because he'll have UFA status. So there's a lot here. As a fan, I did not want to see him leave the team. I don't even care about the things that we're getting because, honestly, had they made that trade sooner, I felt like they could have gotten more. I felt like the Rangers gave up more for Tarasenko and it was just like, oh, okay, well, okay, I guess Kane only wants to go to the Rangers. And so then the Rangers are like, well, okay, let's see what else we can maybe scrounge up. You know what I mean? In the trade. And now, granted, a first round pick is not shabby. Do I think they could have gotten more for him? Yeah. I mean, especially since that's the team he wanted to go to. That's the team that will have negotiating rights before he becomes a UFA. But, you know, at the same time, the Blackhawks didn't have a lot of options. It was either keep Kane, hope he doesn't get injured, although keep Kane for what? So that they cannot make the playoffs or trade him and hopefully get something that could help them in the future. That's the yeah. problem with dealing with players that have no trade clauses is all the power is taken out of the hands of the team. And especially if they voice their opinion and say, okay, I have a no trade clause, asterisk, I'll agree to potentially consider this team, this team, and this team. Mm -hmm. And then you look at those teams and you're like, well, they don't have anything we want. Or they're going to want to give us nothing for that. And you're handcuffed. There's nothing right. to do. Right. So asking a guy out of the love of his heart for the team that he's played for his whole career to, oh, will you waive your no trade clause so we can actually trade you somewhere? I don't blame him for saying no and throwing out there hey, I want to go to New York, and that's the only place I want to go. So whatever you got to do, if you want something for me, you better make it happen. So could they have gotten more for him? No, they couldn't. That's all they could get for him because that's what happened. You know, could they have said, yeah, we're not trading them to you unless you give us unless you give us Alexei Lafreniere in trade? Yeah, they weren't going to do that. No, they weren't going to do that. So there was no chance. They got what they got. I mean, that's really all they could do. So no trade clauses are, like we were talking earlier, back before players had protection, it's tough for a team to have that. You have to deal with that. But at the same time, it's great for a player because you can dictate what happens to your career. Yeah, and, and you want to see that with the star players. I mean, again, it was worse decades ago when they could just bury a player in the minors. They could just say, all right, we're not going to play you. We're not going to trade you. We're just going to bury you in the minors. You had teams that would do that, right? 
So I want to see Patrick Kane succeed with the Rangers. I'd be happy if they won a cup. I legit would. You know, then it would work. It would have worked out for them. Seems really hard to do that with who else is in the East right now, looking at Boston, looking at Carolina, maybe even looking at Toronto. If you look at the statistics and you look at wins, losses, and everything else, yes, Boston's good. Are they physically good? Yes. Are they good on paper? Also, yes. Were the Rangers good before? They were all right. They could compete. On paper, though, now, the Rangers on paper now are possibly even better looking than Boston. Whether that translates to something, I don't know, because, I mean, he's played a couple games, and the Rangers look kind of underwhelming. They're okay, but they've had roster issues, you know. They've had big roster issues. You know, they went a couple games with 16 skaters, Mm -hmm. 11 forwards and 5D. You know, with the addition of Kane, is it good? Yeah, it's a great pick. Anytime you can get Patrick Kane, especially if you can play with Panarin and they can capture their what they did before, Mm it would be good. But right now, watching them pass the puck to each other, yeah, it's fun. But no one's shooting. Like, yeah. neither of them are shooting. They're just passing it to each other. It's like somebody shoots a stinking puck. So I think yeah. they're trying too hard to make, like, this beautiful play and make the whole place erupt, and it's just not working out. But he's got to get comfortable with the team. So mm-hmm. comfortable with his surroundings and all that. Once he does, I think then you can throw out the proverbial watch out. But I think it's just going to take some time to work out the kinks and get everybody on the same page and working together and work the system out and then – you know, once they had enough ice time together and get the practices down and everything else, I think the Rangers will be a force to be reckoned with. Well, yeah, I mean, and that was the idea. So, I mean, obviously they did well in that trade. I mean, yeah, you're right. They, you know, it was either go to the Rangers or go nowhere. So they had to get something for him. And, I mean, I guess the Rangers are like, well, we can have Patrick Kane or not have Patrick Kane. And, okay, our opponents won't get him either, but he can really help our chances. Think so, yeah, about I, this. Not that long ago, we were talking about the Rangers in the terms of them sending out those letters to the fans saying, you know, we hope you bear with us in these trying times because we're essentially rebuilding. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was only a couple of years ago. And to, to look at them now, it's not that team. That is not the team that we're currently looking at. Like this is a team that's built to win, and they're built to win now. You know, and we we've already mentioned. You know, the NHL isn't really about the long play; it's about now. What can we do now? Because they may not get another chance. Hockey season's a grind. I mean, you got 82 games to get through. A lot can happen in those 82 games. Players can get hurt. Contracts can expire. Different coaches come in can change the way the team plays, and that could be better or worse. But yeah. It's harder for there to be dynasties. I mean, think about it. We had the Penguins win two back-to-back, and we had the Lightning win two back-to-back a couple years later, and we're just like, oh, my God, this is like as close as to a dynasty as we're going to get is two in a row, which is okay. It's kind of boring when Montreal wins four or five cups in a row. It's just like, yay, great. <laughs> but they haven't done that in our lifetime. Well, so. I wasn't watching hockey in the late 70s, but, yeah, you're right. Although that was messed up, too, because you basically had six haves and six have-nots. Those are the expansion teams from 67. And then you had a few more expansion teams added over the years. So, I mean, yes, the Flyers did win the Cup two years in a row. But, I mean, they had to build through the draft. 
they didn't get any help right away. I, I don't think that we've really had a, a dynasty, quote unquote, team. The Oilers in the 80s and before them, the Islanders mm-hmm. with four cups in a row. Before that, the Habs with like five. And before that, then you can go back to, you know, the, with the Habs and all of their cups and everything else. But other than that, you had the Penguins with back-to-back in the early 90s. Red Wings had, in the late 90s. You had Red Wings in the late 90s. You know, you had a few cups in, mixed in there with the with the Avs, and the Devils pulled out a couple cups within a 10-year time frame. Yeah, until you fast forward. Remember, we had that period of time where the only teams that won the cup were either Boston, Chicago, L.A., or Pittsburgh, <laughs> it seemed like. That because, was good times, though. I like yeah, that. Yeah, and it was it was basically those teams. And if you were not those teams, forget it. Calling teams dynasties based off of what their potential is to win, you know, stacking them up with these types of rosters. It's hard to build those types of teams that are sustainable for long periods of time. It's difficult when your favorite player from your favorite team gets traded. I grew up loving Mario Lemieux. Did he ever get traded? No. But did he go down with debilitating injuries and cancer and retired multiple times? Yes. And every single time it was devastating. But I can't equate it to when Yager got traded. Yeah, there were tough times in Pittsburgh. And he essentially won it out at that point. So it wasn't a good relationship. But still, when you don't have Lemieux anymore and he's your second best player and you kind of went through your formative years of watching hockey and he's the guy, right? Mm -hmm. To have him go somewhere else to play for not only another team, but another team in the same conference and another team that you don't like very much. And just like in this case, another team that within the trade, what did you get back in return? A bag of rusty nails. That's about it. Because that's what they got for Yager. So... I mean, I can empathize with this completely. I just haven't had to experience it in recent memory because that was a long time ago. One of my problems with this trade of Patrick Kane to the Rangers from a Blackhawk fan's perspective, I don't necessarily put fan in quotes. Maybe I put an asterisk when I refer to myself as a fan. I'll say fan with reservations, kind of like, I enjoy the players. I enjoy the team. I don't enjoy the management. I don't enjoy a lot of things that they do. You're a fan. It's all those people that drive the pickup trucks that slap Blackhawk stickers on them because they think it's cool. Those aren't the fans. You're a well, fan. No, right. And I think, you know, like when they say a fan has a right to complain because they bought a ticket or whatever. I mean, I agree with that to a certain extent. I mean, I've dealt with people who... You know, oh, the team should do this and the team should going back to like, oh, the Kane and Tate should waive their no trade clause. I'm like, no, they shouldn't. If they want to stay here, let them stay here. We enjoyed watching them play here. Okay, now they slow down a little bit. Can they still help the team? Hell yeah, they can. The point I'm trying to get to was that with the exception of maybe Stan Makita, Tony Esposito, those are the only two I can really think of. There's probably another example, but just as far as Black Hawks legends they never get to retire in chicago bobby hall didn't retire in chicago glenn hall didn't retire in chicago jeremy roenick didn't yeah, retire in chicago Belfour. chris chelios my Chelios. favorite player now yep. granted he 
started with Montreal, and this wasn't a cup of coffee like Tony Esposito playing a few games in Montreal before going to the Blackhawks and winning Rookie of the Year. So yes, technically Tony Esposito did play for the Canadians. He did win a Stanley Cup. He was their third string goaltender. He got a cup ring, but really he was a Blackhawk. That was his team for 15 seasons. And uh, Stan Makita never left the Blackhawks because when Bobby Hall went to Winnipeg, the Blackhawks tripled his salary. So he had incentive to stay, even though he could have gone to the WHA. He could have played for the Winnipeg Jets with Bobby Hall. Bobby Hall was trying to convince him to to jump ship. But what I'm saying is that, like, I saw a lot of my favorite players, Belfour, Ronick, Chelios, would have loved to seen any of them retire as a Blackhawk. That didn't happen. Even go down to some of the minor guys that are still legends, like Tony Amante didn't stay on the Hawks, you know, or players like Duncan Keith, Duncan Keith, Doug Wilson, Doug Wilson. That's another fantastic example. Duncan Keith, you know, one season with the Oilers. I mean, I guess that's the thing. It's just kind of depressing. Nicholas Yalmerson went to the Coyotes and actually played for them. He didn't just, not only did Yalmerson's contract go to the Coyotes, but he actually physically went to Arizona and played for the Coyotes, which seems to be such a crazy idea. I think I saw a statistic today that 46% of the Arizona Coyotes payroll is wrapped up in contracts of players that aren't even playing for the team. I thought it was actually higher than that, but you, okay, you might be right. You might 40%, be right. 40%, 50%. I saw it from one of those hockey nonsense accounts on Facebook, like Hockey Beast or Hockey Informer or whatever hockey. You know, they'll just put out some stupid statistic like, do you know there are more grains of sand in the Mojave Desert than Stanley Cups that a Canadian team has won since 1993 or just something stupid like that, you know? There are more hairs on my head than cups that the Maple Leafs have won since 1967. You know, one of those types of accounts that like throws out statistics that they think are are very poignant. So maybe I should have checked my source a little better on that. But there's a lot of money no, tied up. Yeah, in you think, absolutely. And they do it all the time. The Coyotes have always had this low salary thing where they haven't even spent to the floor. And it's like, okay, we're going to acquire... A bunch of Hall of Famers like Marion Hosa and Pavel Datsuk and Chris Pronger and Shea Weber, and none of them will ever play for us. We're just picking up their garbage contracts. Yep. You know, they and... did it with Dave Boland. They did it with Andrew Ladd. They did it with Brian Little. When you have the lowest payroll in the league and you have massive amounts of salary cap to spend and nobody to spend it on, I mean, what else can you do? You play banker in a bunch of deals, pick up a bunch of draft picks, and take on all these undesirable contracts. I heard they were probably going to take on uh, Voracek. I heard that this year, too. Oh, Jake Jakub Voracek? Yeah, they were going to take take Jake Voracek's contract. So, I mean, he's been sidelined since, like, November because of the concussions that he's had. So, they're like that dumping team. You don't like your contract? Give it to Arizona. Well, uh, they actually acquired Voracek. Uh, on March 2nd. Yeah, they got him from the Blue Jackets for yep. the goaltender. What's his yep. name? Um, John Gillies or Giles? Gillies. John Gillies. Gillies. Thank you. So uh, they're yeah. taking on a contract of a guy that hasn't played. And they got a portion of Patrick Kane's contract now. So that he could yep. fit under the cap with the Rangers. So whether you call it circumventing the cap, 
I don't know if it's not you doing it, but it is kind of you. You're just helping somebody else do it. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Just because you deliver the drugs to people, you don't force them to take them. So does right. that make you bad? You know, I don't know. Hey, that's not it's not the same thing. I'm hey, they're saying. old enough to drive. They can make their own decisions, right? Yeah. So obviously, very sad that Kane left the Blackhawks. Sad that he can't retire as a Blackhawk. Maybe he will come back for one season. They'll probably do one of those one-day contract nonsense when all is said and done, which I hate, and we won't talk about that. You know, or maybe he'll play with the Rangers for seven more years. Can Patrick Kane play till he's forty? I think so. I don't see why not. You know, especially especially if, if he gets the spark back and gets the, I don't know. He was seeming kind of unmotivated for a while, so. If he gets that spark back and, wa- and wants to do it, I'm sure he could. I mean, when you have a lot of good players around you, like Chicago during their dynasty years, you know, and of course he was younger too. But the thing is, is that when you have to be the guy and you're the only guy, then it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder, especially, you know, you're like 33 and you have to carry the team. And again, I think Max Domi played surprisingly well for the Blackhawks, but Kane has had better line mates before and he has better line mates now and he could play let's just say seven years i think till 40 going to the rangers let's talk about his collectability because you know we looked at like jonathan quick going to the columbus blue jackets and we're like right and then he went to the knights and we're like thumbs back up now right there are teams where you look you know like okay john Tavares going from the islanders to the Maple Leafs totally made him a more collectible player just because he went to the Maple Leafs, right? Austin Matthews being on the Maple Leafs, right? Collectible player because he's he's on an important team or a popular team, etc. Et Kane going from the Hawks to the Rangers, this is just going to make him even more collectible because now you have New York people who are going to want his rookie cards or some of his better Blackhawks cards because he's their player now. And The Blackhawks are kind of a sexy team to collect. Blackhawks, Penguins, Kings, Maple Leafs. I mean, we've we've gone through the list before. I mean, there's other teams, of course. But again, like when I do shows, and by the way, I will be setting up at the Chicago Sports Spectacular March 17th through 19th at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. But when I set up at such a show and New York people come, they will buy... Artemi Panarin rookie cards, even though he's pictured as a Blackhawk, or they'll buy Panarin cards picturing him as a Blackhawk because he's popular in New York. But, you know, they want his earlier cards. Can't really say I sell too many Panarin cards with him as a Blue Jackets player, but nobody's like, oh, I'm not going to buy that Panarin card because he's pictured as a Blackhawk. It's like he's popular enough that those cards will sell. I mean, it's kind of the same with Marion Hossa. I kind of thought, eh, no one's going to want Marion Hossa cards of him as an Ottawa Senator, but I would throw some out there just for sale besides the rookie card. And sure enough, people will buy Hossa's Senator's cards. They'll buy any of his cards because he's so popular in Chicago. Well, and you got the the fact that he's a Hall of Famer now too, so. Well, yes. Okay, so that just increases the demand. So, I mean... You know, if anything, I... But Kane's a future Hall of Famer. You can guarantee that. It's a lock. Yeah. And he's won awards and he's won cups already. So, I mean, 
he's an accomplished player and anything that he does at this point is just going to add to those accomplishments, whether it's just adding more statistics to move up that list of all time scores among American born players. And if he can win a cup in New York, I mean, he'll be considered like a hero, (laughs) you know, the glue that brought it all together. Well, him more so than Tarasenko, which is kind of funny because Tarasenko is also a really good player. They're not the same player, but He's also, like, really good, so... He's a great player. Yeah, okay, great. Really good, great, pretty great, awesome, however you want to say it. There's been a very strong bias towards many Russian players over the last year, for obvious reasons. And I think some of them get swept under the rug. And Tarasenko... Tarasenko got ignored for a while. His cars were super hot the first few years, and then they Mm kind of just petered off. And I'm not sure if that was because he was in St. Louis or what. He was still great, still awesome player, but it's just the the demand for a lot of that stuff kind of tapered off. And you didn't really hear people talk about it too much. But I think he's going to see a resurgence with him being in New York, and especially if they win. You know, yeah. Kane's had the popularity. I think he'll continue to have the popularity. I don't think demand for his stuff is going to wane at all, changing scenery. No, now you just have... New York Rangers fans who collect cards are going to go after Kane's cards as well, not even caring that he's not in a Rangers uniform. That makes sense, though. I mean, I guess with any player, if you like him, you collect him, regardless, going back to your personal collections where a guy changes teams and you go, ah, that sucks, but I like this player, so I'm going to collect his cards anyways. My biggest PC is Bill Guerin. And how many times did he switch teams? (laughs) In later years, he was a role player guy. Mm Mm-hmm. He was a guy that they brought on the teams to the locker rooms to be that leader, to be, you know, the guy that would come in and maybe latch on to a few of the younger guys and show them, hey, this is how this works. And I'm just looking at the depth chart for the Rangers, and I mean, man, they got Kreider, Zabanajad, Tarasenko, Panarin, Kane, Lafreniere, Capo Caco. You know, on defense, you got Jacob Truba, Keandre Miller, you got Adam Fox. In net, you have Igor Shosturkin. So, I mean, they got a lot of good players. Like I said, it's a stacked lineup, and on paper, it looks pretty scary. You know, the fun thing about the playoffs, though, is that you look at a team like the Bruins, and you go, there's no way they can be stopped. And then the playoffs come, and it's like a whole new season. It's yeah, a few like- years ago, nobody thought, the, nobody thought the Lightning would be stopped, and Columbus beat them. I mean, that was a few years ago now. I mean, Well, that was pre-Dynasty. Nobody thought Montreal was good enough to do anything, and they stormed all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Granted, it was in a COVID year, but whatever. It still counts. True. Still counts. But you think about, like, okay, you play a team, they beat you. You don't see them for six weeks, and you play them again, and they beat you, right? But now if you're going to play this team every other day for at least four games— you have time to adjust. And I think that's the magic of a series is that you have these teams, they'll tweak their lineups, they'll change their strategies, they'll do whatever it takes because they, they're only focusing on that other team, how to beat that team. Now, I'm not saying that the Bruins are going to be stopped. I'm just saying, though, if they do get stopped, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen a team win the President's Trophy only to bow out in the first round or the second round or well, honestly, I feel like the team either 
wins the president's trophy and then wins the cup or they get upset in the first round, right? I'm sure there's exceptions otherwise, but it kind of seems like that, doesn't it? Like they like yeah, they like does. fizzle out once the playoffs hit. And I don't think the Bruins are one of those teams that looks anybody like a gimme. I think they take most of it seriously. They're not one of those teams that's cocky enough to be like, eh, we don't have to worry about these guys and just mm-hmm. overlook them and move on because history has shown that once Stanley Cup comes around, it's a whole different ball game. Teams find a whole different gear. That's not the team that you played during the regular season. That's what's frustrating about like the Penguins. The Penguins did nothing to, to help their roster. Are they capable of playoffs? Sure. You know, they have Crosby, they have Malka, they have Latang. And if they could get any solid, consistent goaltending at all or return to form, they could be a dangerous team. They could be one of those teams that could upset people. But I don't think they compare to the top six in the East right now. You know, if they get there, maybe one and done as far as the playoffs go, because I don't think they can match up well with some of these other teams that are stacked, especially a Boston or a New York or Carolina for that matter. I think those three teams right there off the top are, there's your three main teams in the East. Oh, well, yeah, of course. But, you know, the Rangers have just made it way more interesting. They definitely have. That's for sure. And as much as we were touting that, you know, a few weeks ago when we had the Ryan O'Reilly trade to Toronto saying, oh, Toronto won the cup. Might as well just give it to him now. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't age well, did it? I don't think I said that. So we were talking about how that was just a great pickup and everything. And I agree it was, but you know, fast forward and he breaks a finger and he's out indefinitely. <laughs> so it's like, what are you going to do? You spent all this, spent all this on bringing this guy in to solidify your roster. And now you lost him. Yeah, that sucks. Any other thoughts about Patrick Kane, how this might affect his collectability? I think we both agreed it's going to go up. I think it's definitely going to make his true rookie card go up. His true 1997 Sylvain Turgeon card. Oh, 94-95. Or 94-95. Pinnacle, Pinnacle. Sylvain Turgeon. The true Patrick Kane rookie card. Yes, with the five-year-old Patrick Kane in the stands. <laughs> you know, I remember some knucklehead. See, I, I get so defensive when people tweet out about hockey cards and they don't know hockey cards and i think this was on facebook and this was one of those like hockey nonsense feeds that's what i'm just going to call them because you have like you've seen them like hockey beast and stuff like that nobody knows anything on facebook when it comes to card right so i mean they're like a six-year-old patrick kane could be seen on this pierre turgeon hockey card and i like wrote in the comments one it's a Sylvain Turgeon hockey card, not a Pierre Turgeon hockey card. If you read the text, you could see that two. Kane is five in that photo, because if you do the math of when the card came out, the picture was taken from the season before, and then you take what year Kane was born, he's five. You know what I mean? But like, you know, people think they're so smart because they like put this image out on Facebook. And I mean, I... Wrote the about fact that it. there's still people that collect cards and stuff that don't already know that baffles me. Yeah, Patrick Kane's true rookie card. You know, I have an 06-07 London Knights team-issued card. I bought that set probably right after Kane got drafted. I think I bought it from the team, like for 10 bucks or something, because I was just like, well, okay, this kid's going to be on the Blackhawks, and 
I want to have an early card of his. And so I was able to find that. And I was just looking at that the other day, and it's just weird to see him with all his hair. No receding hairline. He's so young, you know. Yeah, when they showed him standing out on the ice doing warm-ups for his first game, they had, like, cameras up close. And I was like, wow, he's looking he's looking pretty haggard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's uh, looking a little beat, a little weathered. Yeah. And he's way younger than I am, so... <laughs> All right, I think we should wrap this one up. What say you, Tim? Oh, we didn't talk about the Predators getting Anthony Angelo from St. Louis. Pass. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, do we really want to talk about all these trades of guys I've never heard of for seventh-round picks that'll be used for guys that we'll never hear of getting drafted? Lots of former Penguins were traded. I will say that. The way players change teams so frequently, everybody's a former Penguin these days. You're not wrong on that. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please give us a follow on social media. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at The Real DFG. And if you want to support this podcast, you could do so by buying a shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.